When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi, folks. I'm Amy Wright. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this hour is award-winning singer, songwriter, and musician Sean McConnell. Sean is considered a top-tier collaborator in the Nashville country and Americana music scenes, and well beyond for that matter. His latest album, A Horrible Beautiful Dream, features 13 songs marked by emotional depth, world-weary tones, and a tongue-in-cheek quality that most songwriters can only attempt to find, while McConnell has proven that he has it down pat. We had a great chat about his new album, how his life has changed since adopting his daughter Abby, who lives with cerebral palsy, as well as what it's like to maintain an authentic voice when writing songs for other artists. Take a listen, and I'll catch you again later on. Sean, welcome to Diddy TV. Thanks for stopping by and joining us. Um, You're a very, very busy guy. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be part of it. In very cool space, describe what's behind you. Is that your studio? Yeah, this is one of the rooms of the studio, the main uh, tracking room, and where I spend uh, most of my time. And is that, is that near your house or, or you're on a farm, right? Yeah, it's right next to our house. Yep. Well, that's convenient because you play a lot, you write a lot, you produce a lot, um, you do a lot, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as, as, as the case may be. But I just wanted to go back and talk to you a little bit about how you got where you are. Uh, you were born in Massachusetts and yes. your, your parents actually played music, right? Yeah, they were musicians in the folk scene in Boston when I was growing up. And so, yeah, we grew up, I'm one of four kids, and that was a huge part of our childhood was, you know, watching our parents play, whether it be practicing at the house or with their band at the house or at a, you know, a show. We we often got to go to their shows and kind of like, you know, put over here on the side of the stage or in the back room or something like that and watch our parents play music and so yeah, it definitely uh, it's been part of my story ever since I was born. I can't tell you how many guys I interview and that whose parents were actually musicians, and that played a big role in their life. It was just all there was always music in the house, and and you know, and that influenced them to pick up an instrument. What in, when, yeah. when did you actually start playing? When I was about ten, I. Uh, started learning guitar and was just automatically transported to the, the minute I could play one chord. I just, it was just a match made in heaven. I just, I'll never forget that feeling. And so I, I, I learned on my mom's old Yamaha. And then when my dad would go to work, I'd sneak in and steal his really nice tailor from underneath his bed and played on that. And I started writing songs pretty much at the same time as I started playing guitar, they, they kind of went hand in hand for me. So it's about 10 years old is when I first kind of fell in love with it. 
Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? The first song I ever wrote, I do remember. It's called Paper People. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> was it, because you were 10, was it about the, the paper people that you cut out? We had just moved, well, I guess I would have been 11 or so, but um, we had just moved from Massachusetts to Georgia. So our whole lives were kind of, you know, we left everyone we knew. And I think it was some sort of uh, immature attempt at, um, at anger. And like, every, like everyone I'm meeting was like fake and not people that I knew or appreciated. So it was uh, early early uh, angst, angsty music. So from the get-go, you used music as a form of self-expression or dealing with topics that were in your head. Yeah, I suppose I did, yeah. And so when you moved to Georgia, you continued to play. Did you have a band in high school? Were you playing with, playing with other folks? I know you put out an album at 15, so you were doing something before that even. I kind of did a lot of different stuff. I played in a band and I started a band with some buddies in middle school, which was a lot of fun. And we did, like, it was our, my first taste of like, you know, performing in front of people. And that was a blast. And then I, I was also at the same time doing like solo acoustic stuff and bringing like a PA system to anywhere that would let me put out a tip jar and play some tunes. And so I kind of did that all through, you know, from middle school. And then in high school, I, was in another band and also still doing the solo stuff and just kind of always was lugging some gear somewhere to play for whoever would, would listen. What kind of music were you playing back then? Um, the acoustic stuff was very, I would say it was kind of like folk, like what I grew up with, like folk or acoustic kind of, I guess what would now be Americana music, um, just very songwriter oriented, uh, mostly originals, like some covers, which were like super random for people my age. Like I'd be playing like a Harry Chapin song and no one would know who that was or, you know, but it's what I grew up on and all my heroes. So, um, and then the, the band stuff was mostly covers like any, you know, any uh, 14 year old kid who picks up electric guitar is going to play. So, um, yeah, it was just, you know, in the early days, it's just anything is exciting. And, he's, and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's an original or a cover, just being able to play an instrument and sing a song is such an amazing feeling. Well, lyrically, were there any heroes you had back then that you just thought nailed the lyrics for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys. My, my biggest songwriting hero was and is a, an artist named David Wilcox. You know, he was a big turning point for me. I think I just tried to be him until I figured out who I was as a songwriter. If that, you know, we all copy people in the early days. And so him and, you know, obviously people like Joni Mitchell and um, Dylan and Springsteen, these were all like on the turntable or the CD player while I was growing up. And I was surrounded by just the best songwriters, you know, it's just like, that was my, uh, that was my every day. Cause my parents just had a great, a great taste for songwriters. Well, you're an amazing artist, but you're also an amazing songwriter for other people, which is, I always think of that as sort of, it's like almost two sides of the brain because while you're, both of them require you to write a song, you know, on the 
when you're writing for someone else, you really have to think in terms of, of their voice and their music. And so how do you do that when you write for other people? It's kind of counterintuitive. I've thought about this a little bit. I think in, instead of like getting in, I think part of it is getting into someone else's shoes, but I think another part of it is drawing from your own um, experiences that might have something to do with the song. So that it, when I'm writing, I always want to feel like I'm coming from a place of honesty or like something that I can actually talk about. So with, when you're writing with another artist, often I'll, in my mind, I'll be writing about something similar that happened to me in my own experience, you know, if that's a possibility. Um, it doesn't feel like a different process to me, but the, when I'm writing for myself, it, there is a slightly different energy um, where you don't have to worry about anyone. I'm not running, I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, this is great. I hope this person actually likes this too. I'm just like, write it down because you like it. And that's, you know, there's only one chef in the kitchen. So um, it's uh, both ways are very fulfilling and, and slightly different. Is there any more uh, stress involved in writing for yourself? Because perhaps when you're writing for yourself, it's, it's more about uh, you or people might think it's about you. And when you write for someone else, you can just kind of let it go and write about a topic and, and just not really be concerned about what people think about you and that topic. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Um, I don't think I could enter in, into a song that I don't believe in, if that makes sense. You know, even if that's not me, um, I just couldn't get behind something that I didn't believe in, you know, topically or stylistically. So, but it, it's, it's really not, um, it's not a conscious effort it just kind of happens when you get together with whoever it is um that normally like the song just appears and it tells you what it wants to be and it kind of takes all the guesswork out of it you're just like oh this is so exciting and good let's, let's write that well in addition to your own amazing music and we're going to talk about a horrible beautiful dream which is your new album and i listened to it great music i mean it's you so it's it's going to be great um but i just Thank wanted you. to sort of toot your horn a little bit because you've written for M Martina McBride, Rascal Flatts, Little Big Town, Christina Aguilari. Uh, you had a double platinum hit with Mercy with, uh, for Brett Young. And I, I, you were nominated for a Grammy. Um, it was, was that the song with Little Big Town? Yeah, God for the Daughters. So how does that feel when someone you've written for is, is getting all these accolades for a song you wrote? It feels great. I mean, it's, the level that those people, the exposure and the exciting things that happen with a song when it gets to that level is, um, it's like a really fun ride to kind of sit back and watch happen, you know, the opportunities that it gets. And uh, especially if you wrote it with the artist, it's even, I feel like it has extra meaning because everyone was in that room together when it was birthed. And then you see it doing all this stuff and we're texting like, hey, you remember when we wrote this? upstairs and your when in your studio was just a bedroom and now it's on you know we're on we're up for a grammy and um it's just cool like the places that music takes you even if it's not you the artist is it's um it's cool it's a special it's a special thing 
Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, you're also in a trio, right, with Garrison Starr and Peter Greenwald. And yeah. it's called yep, My Peter Sister, Greenwald. My Brother. I was listening to one of the songs, I, um, Nothing Without You. And uh, how did that come about? We know Garrison. We love Garrison. And I don't know Peter, but um, know of him. But how did that, that uh, union come about? Um, we actually met at a writing camp, oddly enough, and we're, we were paired together as a trio. And uh, yeah, it was super like a blind date almost. It just kind of, we were like put on the books and we showed up and very quickly we were like, oh, wow, this is um, really easy. And we sing really well together and feels effortless. And we just got a bunch of good songs and we decided to book flights and meet back up and keep writing after that camp. And it just kind of spiraled into a, a side project for all of us that we're really passionate about and, and excited about. Well, I love the simplicity of the video just in an auditorium, almost looked like a church. I think maybe it yeah. was a church. It was, I, yeah, it's an old church. Yep. And the acoustics were great. And it's just three people sitting around singing beautiful music. I mean, your voices blend so nicely together and it, it, the song was really beautiful, but I just like the simplicity of the setting and the song. It was it was great. Hopefully, you guys are going to do more. <laughs> yeah, we've already done more. We're um, we're figuring out right now, um, kind of when and how we're going to release it. But we've written and recorded more songs, and we're uh, very very thrilled to to put them out. Well, perfect, Ellen. Let's get to a horrible, beautiful dream. Yeah. Um, so, what does that mean to you? Like, why did you come up with that? particular title um that's a really a juxtaposition that saying is one that i've kind of used like just in life i I feel like it really encapsulates you know the human experience and you know especially after the year and a half that we've all had it's um even more apparent and on many different levels but um it's also the um a line in the last song on the record it's so it's not a title but it's in one of the songs and kind of talking about life in general but also what we've all been through it's 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 definitely not a pandemic corona virus themed record but i think that um just like all of us the past year and a half has tested my metal as far as like what i actually believe and what's important and what's not not worth the time and what i should be focusing on and a lot of deep diving into all sorts of things. And I don't know, it, it seemed to encapsulate lyrically what like the through line of the record was kind of this dichotomy of the dark and the light and the beautiful and and the ugly and the hard. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's a good line for if someone were to be like, what does it feel like to be a human? I would say it's like a horrible, beautiful dream. Well said. There are good days and bad days. And um, last year, I think all of us could have never predicted and could probably do without in, in the scheme of things. But you guys were on your farm or where were you riding the, the whole pandemic out? Yeah, we were here on our farm. Um, and we just recently have started, you know, I've got tours being booked and shows coming up and life going back to whatever this new normal will be. And, you know, it's still a moving target. We'll see what happens. But yeah, for the majority of it, we were just here on the farm and really had the amazing luxury of 
just kind of pivoting to producing records full time and writing songs full time and working in the studio and then walking to the house. And so we were really lucky in that way that, that we could do that and I could keep creating and yeah. So we just kind of wrote it out here on the, on the property. I've talked to a lot of people who said that it was a bit of a shocker when it first started, but then once you kind of settle into this is your new normal, there was also some interesting positives that came out of it that a lot of people that didn't get to spend a lot of time with their family or doing some of the things, you know, other things that they like to do were able to do them in the past year. And while they want to get back to touring and they want to get back to all that that entails, there were still some positives that came out of just having to take a pause. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely positives of, you know, I can't speak for anyone else. But I, I know a lot of people that feel the same way. You know, you got to look for the the good and the bad. And for me, that definitely was time with my family that I've, I've rarely, I mean, I've never had a, a time, especially since my daughter's been home. We adopted her at two and now she's 10. And I've never been home this much since she's been with us. And that's been a real, real blessing to be part of like the day to day, every single day. Um, and the time to create and just live in the studio, um, really has served, served me well. And yeah, there, there's definitely positives. I think it'll be, I think it's going to be interesting for us all to get back out there and have to then reacclimate to that life. I think that's going to be the next hurdle. You know, I was just talking to someone else about the mental gymnastics, just to go to a show and not be you know looking over your shoulder or like thinking how close somebody is and it's a it's a very different world we live in now yes i, I think that the new normal will be different i mean I, I don't think it'll be exactly the same as it was before there'll be some things that kind of infiltrate from the past year as well um, yeah maybe maybe some positives too about you know you know maybe you don't have to tour as much as you used to that there's other ways to use media and uh, to reach an audience, for example. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people have learned that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's true. So one of the songs on the album actually is about your daughter, right? Or um, thing about uh, the price of love? Yeah, that's about my, my wife and my daughter, yep. And tell me a little bit about that. You know, your, your daughter, I know I just read the article in the, in the Tennessean about you adopted a daughter, she's from Ghana, and she yes. has some special needs and there's a lot that comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. Her name's Abiella. She's 10 now. She was 10 months old when we met her, two years old when we got her home. And uh, she has cerebral palsy and she's technically nonverbal, although she's very opinionated and outspoken um, and laughs her butt off at most of the day. And um, all, all, all the things that come along with that um, are realities, but also with it, there's just, you know, for us, again, I can't speak for anyone else, but with Abby, there's just so much magic that comes with with her spirit and her soul and who she is. And she's such a present person. I mean, she always has been. It's it's quite a thing to live with every day to, to just see her be just a present soul and just be so joyful at the smallest things. And yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a, she's a, special kid she really is 
So what, what changed in your life when you adopted a daughter? <laughs> everything? Oh man, everything, everything changed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I would imagine it's, I mean, there are differences, but there's so many similarities with any, any child, your, your whole world can no longer just revolve around you or you and your spouse or whatever your situation is. Um, and I really think it's a, it's for us, it was, you know, I can't imagine who we would be even as people without knowing her, you know, and without being her parents. Um, yeah, it just takes you out of, takes you out of yourself and you get to focus on somebody else, which is a good thing, especially for us artists can be very self-involved. So it's a healthy, uh, it's a healthy balance. Yeah. Well, one of the things I read about your album was that, uh, it was exploring the shades of gray and not just the black and the white that goes on in life. So tell me a little bit about that. It seems to be a theme in my last two records. And I think it's just, you know, the result of, you know, as we get older, we, or as I get older and a lot of the things I wanted to be black and white just aren't, you know, and, um, I used to be bothered by that. Like, I think that it used to be the enemy, whereas now mystery is my peace inside of not understanding. And it took a while and a lot of fights to get there to that place. And, I, and it will always, and it's an ever, you know, I think it's an evolution of someone's entire lifetime. But um, I like singing about that because I think it's a needed liberty that a lot of people don't have and that, um, you know, I can, I can offer my, my truth and my honesty and my songs in that way. And I think this record has a lot of that in it. I, I agree. And I, I was reading one time, I, I thought about this when I, when I read that that's one of the themes in your album, because um, someone else said to me one time that in the shades of gray is where you find hope. Mm. because there isn't a definitive answer and that's where hope lies. And I just think right. it's very interesting that that is that shades of shade of gray. And you said you find peace in that. And so it's, it's interesting because it isn't so defined. Right. Yeah. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, let's talk about the 13th apostle. There's another song okay. on the album and you had a guest, the Wood brothers. We love the Wood brothers. Absolutely. And they did some harmonies on the song, I think, right? They did. Yeah. They actually they came over to this room that I'm in right now. And when I wrote that song, I, very early on, I heard their voices singing it with me. And I've done some touring with them in the past and become friends with them. And I'm actually going out with them in November, which I'm really excited about. But so, yeah, um, they came over and... Um, Oliver and John over here and Chris sent in his part from wherever Chris was. I can't remember at the time, but it was, I think it was the first people I've had in the studio that weren't artists coming to record here since the pandemic happened. So we were, you know, we were still masked up and playing it safe, but it was really fun to have some friends in the studio and be creating together and in person and uh, I just couldn't be happier with what they added to that song. I think it just takes it over the top. It's one of my favorites to listen to. 
Now, did you record the entire album at your studio or was, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I did it all right here in, uh, in the studio. It was, it was a blast. Well, and you wrote yourself almost all the songs except a couple, right? I wrote all the songs and I co-wrote, I think three of them, uh, three of the 13, if that's right. So on the 13th apostle, what is that about? I feel like I wrote it about myself. I feel like I'm the 13th apostle and I, I feel like a lot of people I talk to feel the same way. So I, it's kind of what we were talking about before. Like when you, when you go down the road of, of, uh, the baby in the bathwater, you know, and I think that's the baby in the bathwater are different for everybody. Um, you can insert whatever you want there, but you know, you want to hold on to these things that have kind of formed you, but they're evolving and changing and some of them are falling away and some of them are sticking. And, um, yeah, I just, I feel like that guy, I feel like the 13th apostle that's, um, just kind of like fumbling around, but in a, in an honest way. And, um, it's a very auto autobiographical song for me. Maybe you're learning lessons along the way and applying that to your life. And I kind of like the concept of some things fall off and some things stick. And those yeah. are the things that continue to make you, you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to be open to open to that. I think we can tend to, or at least I can tend to hold on to things as again, going back to the black and white, you know, because you want to feel secure and safe and included and, but the realities of life is that really there, nothing is black and white and that when you can kind of give in to the gray, um, you know, there, I think for me, there is a huge freedom in that not having to, not everything having to make sense. Cause how could it possibly, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about that for sure. So the album comes out August 6th, right? On sound yep. via soundly music. Yep. And where can people get a copy or listen to it? Uh, they can listen and stream, download everywhere that they do that normally. And uh, if you want physical copies, you can get them at seanmcconnell.com and there'll be uh, vinyl and CDs and all that, all the, all the goodies at, at seanmcconnell.com. And will you be hitting the road soon? So we can yeah, I, get, I play my first show back August 5th, the night before the release in Nashville at the City Winery. And uh, and then from there on, I'm just kind of in and out touring, you know, God willing, um, until uh, the new year. We wish you the best of luck with that. Um, and if you get to Memphis, come by and see us. We'd love to show you the studio down here. Thank you. I would love to. I've only played Memphis two times. I, I need to get up there more often. I'm, I'm not too far away. Yeah, you're only down the road. Uh, yeah. So it's a great album. I would recommend everyone listen to the album. Listen to the album before they see you so that they can sing along. And, yes, uh, that would be a, a good order to do things in. That would make me happier. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So thanks for stopping by, Sean. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for helping spread the word and for having me. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nashville-based recording artist Sean McConnell. To learn more about Sean and what he's up to and to purchase his music, visit seanmcconnell.com. And remember, you can visit diddytv.com for more exclusive on-demand content and download the official free Diddy TV app from your app store today. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 